our little history lesson that we've been doing. Freed individuals that helped runaway slaves travel towards freedom. They were called conductors. The Apostle Paul is our conductor as we go through the book of Philemon. The fugitive slaves were cargo. The safe houses and hiding places along the lines of the Underground Railroad, those were stations. The Wesleyan Church, along with like uh, um, Quaker, any of those churches were, were stations. And, of course, people needed an emancipator. Historically for us, that was Abraham Lincoln. Historically for us, that's Jesus Christ. And Philemon, which is the book we're going to be in today, if you want to turn there, it's the story of a master and a slave. It's the story of one person with freedom and privilege and how they use that and how the Apostle Paul is speaking to them. And the reason why he wants this, and we looked at this last week, is he wanted reconciliation between these two men. Onesimus and Philemon, Paul wants them to move from prisoner to freedom. Onesimus is a prisoner to slavery. Paul, the apostle, he's a prisoner to the Romans. Philemon is a prisoner to his culture. But Jesus is going to move them all to freedom. The Apostle Paul wants them all to be workers. Onesimus is now useful. Paul is a worker for Jesus Christ. Philemon is a co-worker. Jesus makes everybody useful. Now, it doesn't matter what our ages are, whether you're really young or you're really old, whether we're really healthy or really sick. God can use everybody. Now, sometimes what we do when we're young changes when we're old, but God makes everybody useful. And he wanted them to move from being separate to being brothers. Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus are all made family in Jesus. Now, that could have been a whole sermon, but I think there's something better. Those are all good goals. But remember when we first started this, there was a question. Why did Paul use this method? Why did he send Onesimus back to Philemon? Okay, in, in the United States, in the Underground Railroad, when a slave wants to get away, the conductor takes them away from the master. You don't want to go deeper south ever. You move north. But Paul sends Onesimus back to his master to get Philemon. Why? Why might he use this method? We never came up with an answer for that. But looking at why Paul did it, we can also today evaluate our methods as to why we do certain things. And most importantly, we're going to learn something about the methods of Jesus. See, it was interesting, as I looked up commentaries, it was was nice to be able to study 25 verses for more than a month. One of the things that came up is I looked up Christology, that's our study of of our truths about Jesus Christ, our doctrine about Jesus Christ. And most commentaries said there is very little Christology in Philemon. In fact, one commentary said there is no Christology in Philemon. Wrong. The whole thing is Christology. And we're going to see that, that, that how much of Philemon, even though it's about this reconciliation of these two men, Christ is all over it. So if you want to turn in the book of Philemon... We're going to start in verse 8 today. Philemon, verse 8, chapter 1. There's only one chapter. So the Apostle Paul writes, For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, 
And now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. I am sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent, so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but out of your own free will. Let's pray before we really dig into this. Lord, today, as this is our last week in the book of Philemon, pray that you really open up to us the truth of freedom that we have in Christ. And that that could be a freedom we can spread to others. Yes, it's in your name. Amen. First thing that we see here is Paul followed the law. Paul followed the law. See, Paul starts off by saying that he has the authority, both as an apostle and as a fellow Christian, to command Philemon. He says, I can just tell you what I want, and you should have to do it. I'm the apostle Paul, and you're a Christian. But instead, he appeals to Philemon based on two other laws. First is the highest law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Philemon, would you want to be a slave? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the first law he appeals to. And then he appeals to a much lower law, the civil law of Rome. He says in verse 14, I didn't want to do anything without your consent. He says, I want to get your permission because that's the law of the land. See, legally, Paul couldn't keep Onesimus. If Onesimus was a fugitive, and I do say if, because as I study this more, I'm not, so, I'm not quite so convinced anymore that Onesimus was a runaway. But if he was, no person could harbor a slave. That was illegal in the Roman Empire. And it was legal to go send somebody to catch your slave. It's much like the fugitive slave laws of the United States. So it wasn't legal, according to Roman law, for Paul to keep Onesimus. Now, here's, here's why I say he might not have been a fugitive. Because he might have been sent by Philemon to go serve Paul. Paul said in verse 13, I wanted to keep him with me in my imprisonment so that he might serve me in your place. That has the implication that Philemon wanted to go, but instead he sent Onesimus. And so Paul saying, I wanted to keep him. But legally, Paul didn't have the right to keep him, nor did he have the right to declare him free. There were three ways to gain freedom from slavery in the Roman Empire. First was called by the rod. That is a legally, that's being legally declared free by a magistrate. The rod was like, today it would be the judge's gavel. And that was uh, done by the master and the slave. They came to some agreement. Uh, usually a payment was made. The slave buy themselves free, and then they'd have to go before the magistrate. And the magistrate would lower his rod onto the slave's shoulder, declare them free, and then would give them a hat. It's called a pellis hat. Kind of cone-shaped hat that they could wear. Only a freed person could wear that hat. And so they'd be freed by the rod. The second way a slave could be freed was by the census. That's conscription. The army needs some people. 
you join the army and serve for a certain length of time, and then you could be a freeman after you served your time. So that's by the census. And the last was by will. That is, I write down, upon my death, I free so-and-so's slave. And that was actually limited in number. A, a person can say, I free all hundred of my slaves. Uh, that was actually limited by law. You can only free a limited number of slaves by will. So by rod, by census, or by will was the only legal way that um, Onesimus could be declared free. And he had to have the permission of Philemon. Paul follows the law. I might recall about a year ago, someone broke into this building. They broke that window right there. And um, this person came. We filed a police report, did the stuff we were supposed to do. But a couple days later, the person came in and confessed. I did it. Now, I didn't know this person at the time. All I really wanted was for them to pay for what was broken and do something better with their life. But we had already contacted the police, and I didn't know this person, whether or not they would actually follow through with paying. So I said, I'm going to call the police so they can finish the police report, and we're going to do all this right. And so police came, took his name, and stuff started going through. Now, within a month, I the church received money to pay for the window and other stuff. It was done. As far as I was concerned, we were good. And the times when I talked to the district attorney, I said, he said, now, if you want restitution, I said, we've gotten restitution. We're good. He said, we're done. This person has made it right. But unfortunately for, for this person, it's not me or the church that's pressing charges. It's the county. We're just the victim. I went to court. I've been to court with this person every time. And the first time I went to, I, uh, the, the judge thought I was this person's lawyer. I was dressed in a suit. So now when I go to court, I look more like a pastor. I wear the collar and everything. Um, and uh, the judge said, are you this person's lawyer? I said, I said no. Um, uh, I said, I'm the victim. Uh, I said, am I allowed to speak? He said, no, you're not. I said, wow. So it, here's what we've been through this process, even though we are now forced to go through the legal process. The hope is that in the end, this person will come to a more responsible place in life. And that hopefully I can walk through with this person. I've never done discipleship through court. But we're following the law. And you know what? Our message is about Jesus is that Jesus followed the law. To bring our salvation. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of the letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Jesus followed the law, all of it. Not just the low bar of the written law. He followed the high bar of the law of love of God, too. Jesus says, I'm going to fulfill all of it. Even stuff that we might consider minor or that he didn't have to do. Matthew 17, 24 through 27, Jesus comes to the temple. It says they came to Capernaum, and those who collected the temple tax 
approached Peter and said, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he said. When he went into the house, Jesus spoke to first. What do you think, Simon? From whom do earthly kings collect tariffs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? From strangers, he said. Then the sons are free, Jesus told them. But so we won't offend them, go to the sea, cast in a fish hook, and take the first fish that you catch. When you open its mouth, you will find a coin. Take it and give it to them for me and for you. So here's Jesus. They're asking him for a tax to go to the temple. <laughs> and he asked Peter, do I really need to pay this tax? In fact, me or you. We're the sons, right? He says, yeah, we don't need to pay this tax. He says, but I will follow this law just so I don't offend them. Jesus followed all the law. On the cross, John nineteen twenty-eight through 30. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that scripture might be fulfilled. When he got to the point where he says, I've done it all, except for one thing. He said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a a sponge full of sour wine on hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. He's on the cross. Oh, yeah, I've got one last thing to finish. There's prophecy about me saying I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Right onto the cross, Jesus fulfilled the law. And he said, it's finished. I've done it all to the highest level. We talk a lot about how Jesus died in our place. Jesus also lived in my place. He fulfilled the whole law, the law that I can't fulfill. And so in my actions, I need to take into account the highest law, the law of love, and the civil law. We read this before, but again, 1 Peter 2.12 Conduct yourself honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day that he visits. I'm taking account both both what God wants and what my state requires. It's not always easy to follow the law, because cultural laws can be contraries to the highest law, the law of God. Sometimes, like the apostles, I might have to say, I have to obey God rather than men. Those times do happen. But disobedience should not be my first go-to action. That wasn't Paul's first go-to action. It wasn't Jesus' first go-to action. You know, I shouldn't think, you know, I, I believe in life begins at conception. So I shouldn't say for my first thought, you know, I should go blow up an abortion clinic. Instead, maybe I should go hang out in front of Planned Parenthood and hands out copies of Horton Hears a Who. There's no law against that. It's a lot more loving. See, I think the point is, when we can, we should shine the law of love onto the law and consciences of people. That's when people experience freedom. That's what Jesus did. See, it's Jesus who frees people. 
but his freedom doesn't come through revolution, which is, that's our American way. Jesus actually brings freedom through obedience. Verse 18 and 19 of Philemon. I'll look there. Paul says, And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention that you owe me even your very self. So Paul followed the law. And now we see Paul made a covenant to pay the debt. Paul made a covenant to pay the debt. What's the debt? He says, first, if Onesimus has wronged Philemon, if he's done just anything sinful towards him, anything bad towards him, Paul says, I'll take care of that debt. He says, if Onesimus owes any money, a lot of times we take that as stealing. The, the thought is for some that Onesimus, in his running away, stole some money so he could get away. That's a possibility. We don't know that for sure. Here's something I do know for sure. Onesimus is a slave, and he needs to be bought out of slavery. Now, a low-end price on a male slave would be 500 denarii. Now, just doing a straight transfer of today's cash, that's $1,000. It's not a ton of money. I mean, it's a substantial amount, of, but it's like, let's scrap that together. But, man, I looked at that, it's like, man, that's not a high value for a life. But a denarii in that day was one day's wages. So Paul is committing himself to almost two years of salary. That's not taking into account that we can't save just every penny of our salary. We have to live off of it. Sometimes it's good if we can put away 10%. He's committing two years of salary at a minimum to pay for Onesimus' slave, uh, to buy him out of slavery. And the payment, Paul says, charge it to my account. Paul has written this letter by his own hand. He's saying, I'm signing my name to it. I'm not just dictating this to somebody else. He says, this is a contract. I'm signing it. And he says, I will pay it. He's not just saying, wash it under the rug, just charge it to my account and We'll just call it good. Paul's saying, no, I'm actually going to pay. You know, purchasing freedom in the, was the time of the Romans or the time of, in the United States, it was always the choice of the master. Venture Smith, he was born in sometime in the 1720s. He was the son of a West African prince. Slave captured, slave traders captured him at the age of six. He was determined to become free. And he was able to purchase his own freedom in 1765. Forty years it took him to purchase his, slave, his, his freedom. And then as a free man, he, it took him another ten years to earn enough money to where he could purchase his entire family, his wife, son, and two daughters. Fifty years he worked to get freedom for his family. Elizabeth Keckley, she was born in 1818. She was enslaved in St. Louis, Missouri. 
she sought to purchase freedom from herself, and her and her slave owner agreed to a sum of $1,200. She was a seamstress, so she could earn money doing that to, to save the money. But even though her master had agreed to that purchase price, he was afraid to let her go out and do her work because he was afraid she was going to run away. So she ended up working for 50 years to purchase her own freedom. She was such a good seamstress, she became the seamstress to Mary Lincoln. 50 years she worked towards freedom. Jesus made a covenant and paid our debt. What did we owe? The wages of sin is death. Romans 6 says, you are slaves to sin. But 1 Peter 1, 18-19 says, For you know that you are redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, an unblemished and spotless lamb. He didn't just sign his name on it, he signed it in blood. This was prophesied, Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. The punishment for our peace was placed on him, and we are healed by his wounds. 1 John 2, 2. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for only for ours, but for those of the whole world. Jesus says, I'll pay it. And he did more than... Work for two years or 40 years or 50 years to do it. He says, I'll die for it. I'll sign it with my blood. So with that, I should live as a free person, shouldn't I? 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God with your body. I'm free. should live like it. And Romans 6.6 For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. I need to wear my pelis hat. I'm free. Wear it. Let people know I'm free. Act like I'm free. See, Jesus frees people. He frees me to live a life that's good. He doesn't free me so I can just still be a slave. Our last section. Let's go back to verse 6 in Philemon. Paul says, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. And then skipping up to verse 9 through 11. I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. And then jump up to verse 21. Paul says, Since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Before we look at our last point, I want to show you a little bit of a video. This are, these are uh, tree change dolls. This lady makes these dolls. Um, you'll hear this. She takes old brat dolls. I don't know if you're familiar with brat dolls. My my oldest daughter used to call them monsters. Okay, 
but she takes brat dolls and she cleans them up and she she makes them into these uh, tree change dolls. Let's take a look at this. Cut off this little dolly. Take her whole face off. I mean, a lot of them are secondhand brats dolls. This is brand new nail polish from me. But it was never my intention to make a particular statement about these dolls. It's unbeat. What Tree Change Dolls is all about, though, is giving some old toys a new lease on life and, yeah, a more down-to-earth, natural-looking style. I thought it was great because it was about the recycling and the reusing, taking these things that people, they don't consider, they don't look at, and just is nice to them. <laughs> She's just so nice. I've tried to give her slightly hairy eyebrows. And I was a little bit embarrassed to be playing with dolls as a 34-year-old. It was mostly just when there was nobody else in the house. <laughs> I was in the closet. <laughs> this little doll has had the best part of her tree change. When Sonia first showed me the dolls, they were just really lovely. They're just really lovely. My mum makes the clothes. She is an expert knitter. I'm knitting a jumper for this little dolly. I'm actually doing the back um, and just measuring it as I go. So far each one has been different. I haven't made any two exactly the same. Combined with her mum's clothes, there was such a change. The dolls are incredibly made up. They look like they're doing it for everyone else. I just thought those were cool. Never liked Brad dolls. As a dad, don't like Brad dolls. But those are cool. But it's the same doll on the inside. And what we see, the, the Apostle Paul, he instigates personal transformation. Paul instigates personal transformation. First, he's looking at Philemon. This is what Paul is setting up in the life of Philemon. He says, I want your participation in the faith to become even more effective than it is already. He says, Philemon... I want all the good in you to be for the glory of Jesus Christ. Philemon, I want the motivation for everything you do to be out of love. And I want you two to be reconciled as brothers. He's setting all this up. So he has to send them back. He has to send Onesimus back so this can happen. And the transformation is Philemon, he wants to move him from living as a Roman citizen to living as a citizen of the kingdom of God that happens to be in Rome. He wants him from living as a master of people to being a better servant of God. He wants him to move from being a master to a brother. And this is literal because a freed slave would take the family name of their former master in Rome. Onesimus would become his family if he freed him. And Paul is also setting up Onesimus for transformation. Onesimus was useless, and now he's useful. Onesimus was possibly a runner, and now he's courageous. He's gone back to his former master. He wants him to move from slave to free. He wants him to move from slave to to family. Paul's instigating all this by having these two guys come back together. 
Jesus also transforms people. It was prophesied in Ezekiel, Ezekiel eleven nineteen. I will give them integrity of heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their bodies and give them a heart of flesh. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. See, the new has come. Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so that we too may walk in newness of life. Jesus instigates transformation. Now it's up to me, by the power of the Spirit, to walk in that. Ephesians 4, 21-24. Paul writes, Assuming you have heard about him and were taught by him, as is the truth in Jesus, take off your former way of life, the old self that's being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, the one created according to the likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. It's like, Jesus doesn't just leave us in chains. He doesn't leave us in death. He instigates the transformation. It's Jesus who frees me to live a life that's good. I don't need all this. We don't have in our scriptures what happened. We know what Paul expected, but we can go to church history. In the Eastern Orthodox Church, Onesimus is called the Holy Apostle Onesimus. Why would they call him that? Well, as Christianity grew, there were three chief cities where Christianity was the base. Rome, Byzantium, Jerusalem, Alexandria, and Antioch. So, uh, to be the head of the church in those cities, you'd be a bishop of a city. Like, Timothy was the bishop of Ephesus. But these five cities were the chief cities, and the bishops of those cities were called the church patriarchs. Now, of those five cities, the chief ones were Rome, Byzantium, and Jerusalem. Jerusalem, because that's where Christianity started. Rome, because that's the capital. And Byzantium, which will later become Constantinople, which now we know is Istanbul. <laughs> it's still there. But those were the three chief cities. 54 AD, Onesimus is made bishop of Byzantium. That guy became useful. Onesimus the slave, bishop of Byzantium. I can't call him a slave. He's not a slave anymore. Bishop of Byzantium. John 8.36, if the Son sets you free, you will really be free. That's what we have to give thanks for today. Let's pray. From Psalm 48. God, you are a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we do not fear, though the earth should change. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake, 
There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place of the Most High God. Cease striving and know that he is God. He will be exalted among the nations. Jesus, even on the cross, as you were completing all the law on the cross, you freed a man and said today you will be with me in paradise. Today, I have no fear of death. With you, I have no fear of life either. I pray that your spirit pour out on me and on everybody here who's listening that we can walk in the newness of life that you give. That we can let loose the chains, let loose the fear of death, and live as free people, freeing others. And we ask this in your name, Jesus, our Redeemer, Savior, and Friend. Amen.